0: This week, If you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to James chapter one, James chapter one, many of you are asking how I'm doing with my back and so forth. And um, so I'm doing OK. I'm coming along. It's a slow process. OK, but you see I'm standing. Praise the Lord. Right. And so um, I'll go home. I'll lay down for a little bit rest and then I'll be up again. You know, that's OK. And so doing my physical therapy, trying to do all the right things. And if I don't do the right thing, I hear it from Kim, right? And she lets me, don't do that. That's too heavy. Don't bend that way, you know? So, But we're, I'm trying. I really am. I'm really trying, OK? So that I don't, like, pull a screw out of my spine or something, you know? Ooh, <laughs> right? Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Well, la- OK, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that, OK? So uh, last week I began, we began a series of messages from the book of James entitled Faith That Works. And we looked at James chapter 1, um, verses 1 through 8 last week. And I want to pick up reading at verse number 9 this morning as we look at Faith That Works. Um, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, we're going to read down to verse 18 today. And so James writes to his scattered flock, his church that has been dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. He writes these words Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruit of of all he created. Our message this morning is entitled, A Faith That Sees Life With Spiritual Eyes. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning and that that which which um, James, this great pastor, wrote to his flock so many years ago is still apropos and applicable to our lives today. I pray, God, that you would give us hearts to receive the seed of your word, that it would bring forth um, that which you desire to grow in our lives. And we thank you for this. In Jesus name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And so last week we began our series in in this book of James by asking the question, what does real faith look like? Is it merely praying a prayer? Is it reciting a a doctrinal statement that you've been taught? Is it merely accepting the fact that, well, since your parents or your grandparents believed in Jesus, thus you too must be a Christian? Is Is it just about being baptized? You see, that's what James is dealing with in his letter. What does it mean to have real faith? That is a faith that saves, or we might say a faith that works. Throughout his letter to his scattered flock, Pastor James is driving home the point that if one really has faith, it will most naturally affect the way they live their life. That is, it will be demonstrated, it will be proven by how they live their life. And the key verse we pointed out last week, we'll get to it in a couple weeks, but the key verse or the theme verse for all of the book of James is found in James chapter 2, verse 26, where James writes, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds or without works is dead. You see, James is very direct when he says, faith without deeds or faith without works, it's dead, it's useless, it's of no value. In other words, it doesn't save, it doesn't work. He might say to us today, only a faith that works is a faith that works. Right? Only a faith that works is a faith that works. In fact, it's, it's interesting, but the book of James is very practical. Right? You'll see that as we, as we go through it. It's a very practical book. It's all about application. James doesn't do a lot of theological talk. Like, like Paul in his epistles, he usually lays down the, the, the theology and then he goes, and therefore, and then he gives the application. James doesn't do that. The theology is all, it, it, it's all just understood that Jesus is Lord, that, that you have to put your faith in Jesus, that God is God, and, and all those kind of things. And yeah, he weaves through some theological thoughts, but really his, his whole book is like the application of the sermon. And so, so we're going to see that it's, it's, it's all very practical. It's all very pragmatic to our lives. And last week we saw that a faith that works is a faith that trusts God enough to rejoice in the trials of life. As he writes in verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It was interesting. I get, I get every day at like 544 comes in my phone, the verse of the day from, I think it's, it's, it's the U you, you version Bible just shows up. And Monday at 544, that scripture popped up and I'm like, wow, God's like driving this home at me, you know? Okay, God, I'm going to try to get it, you know? But to summarize James' words from the portion we looked at last week, we might put it this way, that James was saying this. Consider it a really good thing when you find yourself surrounded by all kinds of trials. Why? Because you know that through those trials, God is at work in your life, strengthening you and shaping you into all you are meant to be. That is real faith. It trusts God. Even when surrounded by all the difficulties that life can bring our way. In fact, if I give you think about it, that takes a really spiritual perspective, doesn't it? To look at the trials of our lives and say, okay, this is a good thing because God is at work in my life through it all. And that's what we're talking about this morning, right? Faith that sees life. With spiritual eyes. For as Pastor James continues to speak about the way in which our faith ought to impact our lives, he continues his theme by challenging his flock to have faith such that they, that we, would rise above the situations of our world and of our lives and begin to see life from a spiritual perspective. That is, we might say a faith that works is a faith that sees life through spiritual eyes. You see, the fact is, and we all know it, that it's so easy for us to get caught up in both the good and the bad of life that we become blinded to what's really happening on a larger scale. So often we do, as we say, lose the forest for the trees. You know, during the summer and even through the year, we like to go hiking and, you know, through the woods and maybe go up a mountain. And, you know, as you're hiking through the woods, you're climbing up a mountain right? All you can see at the moment are the trees, the path in front of you, the small details in front of you. And that might be nice. But if you're not careful, you can easily lose a sense of where you really are and how the mountain you're climbing actually fits into the larger picture. Your perspective is so limited. But when you reach the summit, right? How many of you have ever reached the summit of a mountain, right? When you, am I the only one? Come on. Right? When you reach the summit, you look out over the valley, you can see the river flowing below and the many other hills and mountains that are around you, and you gain a sense of where you truly are. Well, maybe some of you are city folks, so let me uh, give you a city illustration, right? Because as you're walking through the city... All you can see is the street in front of you, whatever buildings happen to to be there that you're passing. And maybe you you see close up the dirt, the garbage, the crowds around you, whatever it is, your perspective is limited. But when you get to the top of a skyscraper, anybody ever been to the top of a skyscraper? Okay, more of you, right? (laughs) Or maybe you fly over the city in an airplane and you see the city below. It all looks so different so much more coherent and often so much more beautiful your perspective has changed you see if we're not careful we easily succumb to the limited perspective of our human way of understanding things we see things through natural eyes and in the end in the end if that's all we see then we're no we're, we're no different than those who claim no faith But the Bible calls us to be people who live our lives above and beyond what's happening on a natural level. It calls us to a bird's eye view or we might say a God's eye view of our surroundings as as, as if we're in a skyscraper or an airplane looking over that city, as if we're standing on the peak of a mountain looking down over the valley below. And James reminds us that those who have real faith will rise above the situations of life and be able to see things, the good and the bad, from a spiritual perspective, to see life through spiritual eyes. And so I want you to notice with me here in these verses that we read, what James teaches us as he's, as, as he's saying to us, when we have a faith that works, we begin to see life through spiritual eyes. That means were no longer enamored by, the, by wealth and material gain. Now, it can be noted that the majority of believers in the church then were people from the lower rungs of the socioeconomic ladder. In other words, most of them were poor. And I'm sure that their tendency was like ours to look at those who had more than they did and begin to covet, to begin to want what, what those rich people had. Somehow they may have begun to feel as if life would be so much better if they had what those people had. I think about the song from Fiddler on the Roof, sung by the the lead character, Tevye. I've loved the song for years. I even like to play it on the piano sometime, where Tevye is singing, If I were a rich man, right? If I were a rich man. And the song is about what it would have been like if poor Tevye had been just a bitty, bitty rich He sings of building a big house, not having to work hard, a yard filled with ducks and chicks and geese, and his wife, Golda, having servants at her disposal. He sings of having a special place in the community and even a special seat in the synagogue and having more time to pray and study the holy books. And he ends the song with these words. Lord, who made the lion and the lamb? You decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan? If I were a wealthy man. Listen, I'm pretty sure that many of us like Tevya, have dreamed about what it would be like to be wealthy, to have some of the things that others have, you know, the houses, the cars, the vacations, the money in the bank and so forth. And it's so easy for us to become enamored with, with wealth and material gain so that no matter how much we actually have, we're always saying, if I only had a little bit more, if I only had a little bit more. But you see, James calls us to a totally different perspective, a perspective that's influenced by our faith. He speaks to those in humble circumstances, literally those who are lowly, insignificant, and poor. And he says, Listen, those who are like that are, in God's eyes, in a high position. After all, Jesus had said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And elsewhere, he actually just says, Blessed are the poor. In other words, God's favor is turned towards those who find themselves at the bottom rungs of life with few possessions to their name and at times oppressed by those who are on top. And James will talk about that later on. But think of it. What a great place to be, knowing that God's favor is on you, that his face is turned towards you. Who could want more? Then he goes on to speak to those who are rich. Saying they ought not take pride in their wealth, but instead realize that a day of humiliation is coming. That is the day when all their riches are going to be stripped away. But notice James doesn't merely say their riches will fade away, but that they, the rich themselves, will pass away. He says the rich will fade away. In other words, all their stuff is gone and they're no longer going to be rich. Using Isaiah's words from Isaiah 40, James says like the flowers of the field that quickly dry up and die in, 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 in the sudden heat of the sun. So to a day is coming when those who are who are enamored by their riches will be destroyed, suddenly dry up and die. See, I think James is kind of alluding to Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus said to be careful not to store up for ourselves treasures here on earth where more moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, right, where those things don't happen, those treasures are not destroyed. He says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. He then goes on, Jesus then goes on to warn us regarding who or what is our master, who or what is going to direct our lives, saying, listen, you can't serve both God and mammon or both God and material wealth. Then he teaches us not to worry. Jesus says, listen, don't worry about food and clothes and all those things. Right, those things are here today and gone tomorrow. In the midst of it, Jesus says, For the pagans run after these things. Do you catch that? People who don't know God. People who don't have faith. People who don't know what it means to have the living God at work in their lives. They live their lives running after material Things. Can I say how sad it is when people who claim to have faith in Jesus are living their lives running after material gain? And we see it all the time, don't we, today? But you see, when we are really living lives of faith and trusting God with our lives and our eternity, we are no longer enamored by wealth and material gain. For we understand it's all so temporary. We hear Jesus' words, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? By faith, we trust God with our lives. And thus, we, we, thus rather than pursue earthly gain, we pursue, we seek after the kingdom of God. Can someone say amen this morning? And so when we, when we have real faith, we'll see life with spiritual eyes. And that means we're no longer enamored by, by the things of this world, the material things of this world. But secondly, secondly in verse 12, we can, we can see beyond the trials of this life. Once again, James speaks of persevering through the trials of life. And this time he looks to the end goal and that which is to come in the life to come, the crown of life, the ultimate goal of the believer, the reward of eternal life. He gives to us the picture of an athlete who endures through his training and competition. They endure pain. At times they feel exhausted. Maybe at times they feel as if they can't go on. And yet they do. They press through, and when they reach the end of the the race or whatever the competition may be, they find themselves to be a victor, the winner, and they're given the victor's crown. Some Some might ask, well, what causes an athlete to push through all the pain and the exhaustion and so forth? You know what it is. It's the goal. It's the prize. It's the win. It's the crown. The athlete is looking ahead past the current status of things towards the finish line. I, you know, a few years ago, I started running some 5K races, you know, and listen, there was a lot of times in the midst of those races, because I'm kind of pushing my pace, I don't know, all of a sudden, like, this little competitive thing came out of me. Like, I want to beat at least a few guys my age, you know? At least a few, right? And, and especially this Red Bank race that we ran a couple times, right? And, and there's that big hill going up Tower Hill there. I tell people, listen, I don't run hills. I run flat boardwalks, you know? And, and there were times when I felt like I wasn't going to make it. I thought, oh, man, I'm panting so hard. I'm just going to stop. But, but then I began thinking about how disappointing it would be not to cross the finish line. It was the end goal, the finish line, that caused me to press on and to run all the way to the end and get that tchotchke metal that goes around your neck when you, when you get to the end, Right? I got a couple of them hanging in my office like I, like I won the Olympics, you know? Listen, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Revelation 2.10, we read these words, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life or give you life as your victor's crown. Hallelujah. Listen, those who are living by faith are able to look beyond this world and all the trials of life to the life beyond the reward that God has in store for them for, and for all who will persevere, for all who will run the race all the way to the end. But thirdly, this morning, James would say to us, listen, if you have a real faith, then you're going to begin to, and you begin to see life through spiritual eyes. You're going to become very aware of your own sinful nature. Wow, we were just talking way up here, and now it's like we feel like we're down here, right? Now, the interesting thing here in verses 13 through 16 is this, that the same Greek word that earlier on is translated as trial is here translated as temptation. And the fact is this one Greek word can be translated either way. And so you look at the context, and here the context gives the meaning as James begins to speak about desire and sin, and death. We might say this, that whereas the trials of life test our faith from the outside, the temptations we face test our faith from the inside. Let me say that again. Whereas the trials of life test our faith from the outside, the temptations we face test our faith from the inside. In essence, James is telling us that when it comes to temptation and the sin to which it can lead, each of us needs to, first of all, look at themselves, into our own hearts. Each of us needs to become keenly aware of our own sinful tendencies. That's a spiritual perspective. And notice he says a couple of things here. He says, "For one, don't blame God for your temptation. God would never seek to lead someone into sin. He's too good. He's too morally right. He's too holy to ever seek to lead us into sin. That's what temptation is about, trying to lead somebody into sin. But he goes on to say, but recognize that your temptations come from your own heart, from the desires of your flesh or your sinful nature. And James actually uses words here that, that are from fishing and even hunting, the fishing and hunting world to describe the process that takes place. When he used the words, you're dragged away, you're enticed. Those words speak of, of of setting a trap or putting out a lure to catch what, what, what's being sought. Listen, now I'm not much of a fisherman, right? I think Luke, you like to fish. You and your dad like to fish, right? Some others of you here, right, being in Monmouth County, you like to go to the beach. You like to fish, right? I've only fished, you know, like up at the lake and putting on the worms or whatever. And, you know, you're taking my boys when they were little. And once they got old enough to do it themselves, I said, you go yourself, right? I'm not going to fish anymore. But I do know this, that in order to catch a fish, one needs the right bait or the right lure, for if the fish don't like the bait, they won't be tempted to bite the hook, right? If they don't like the bait, they won't be tempted to bite the hook. I think of it this way right? If I don't like chocolate cake, I'm not going to be tempted by it. In fact, I pretty much, the truth is, I pretty much can walk past a chocolate cake without, oh, I want that cake, you know? Some of you can't do that, right? Now, if you put a strawberry rhubarb pie in front of me, I can devour that whole thing pretty fast. Because, you see, I'm only tempted by the things I desire or I want. And James gives us this progression. He speaks of evil desires that then give birth to sin, that the sin then grows or takes over our lives and then leads to death. And you see, the temptation comes between the desire. There's this desire And the temptation comes, am I going to give in to the desire or am I going to push it away, walk away, whatever is necessary so I don't fall into sin? The question becomes, will we give in to the desire or will we turn away from it? How will we respond to the desires of our flesh when they begin to rear their heads and tempt us towards sin? Can we be honest enough to admit admit what is really in our hearts? Can we see it all through spiritual eyes? And listen, the things that tempt you are not necessarily the things that tempt me because our desires are different. But we all know that if we're just left to our flesh, to our natural way of being and thinking and acting, we will eventually end up in sin. That's what happens to us. And although there may be all kinds of influences in our lives that can lead us into sin, that can tempt us to sin, James says that ultimately the responsibility rests with us, our own sinful nature, the desires of our own hearts, and if they're not handled properly, they will lead us into sin and thus even to death. You know, Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 17, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Sometimes we think we got it all in check. I got it all together. You know, pride goes before a fall, right? Right. We think we got it all managed, but the heart's deceitful. And those who can see life from a truly spiritual perspective are keenly aware of what's taking place in their hearts, and the tendency towards sin therein. They don't blame others. They don't seek a, a scapegoat. You know, like the old comedian, "Oh, the devil made me do it." Some of you remember him. The devil may, oh, it's not my fault, it's the devil's fault. Here there are people who are saying, well, it's God's fault. Right Today people will just blame others around them. But you see, with spiritual eyes, we begin to understand ourselves from a spiritual perspective. And so rather than blaming others for our sin, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us keep check on our hearts. And we pray for the Lord to help us overcome temptation when it comes our way. And when we do sin, rather than allowing that sin to become full grown, as James writes, we confess our sin. We don't hide it. We confess it and we ask the Lord for forgiveness. You see, that's a faith that works. That's a faith that works. And finally, this morning, James would say to us, when we See life through spiritual eyes. We recognize that all good things, everything good in life comes from the hand of God. Amen. Amen. Verse 16 is kind of a transitional verse that kind of fits into what James has just written about, but also what he's about to say when he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't be deceived about what? Well, for one, don't be deceived about your sin, but recognize the true source of your temptation and your sin. But as well, don't be deceived about the good things you have in your life. Because the good things you have in your life are not because you're so good or because you've worked so hard. You know, we get that into our heads. Well, of course I have this. Of course I have that. I've, I've heard people say, you know, I've worked hard for this. Listen, James says, don't be deceived. Everything good in your life is a gift from the hand of your heavenly Father, a God who's very, very good. And the contrast here is this. God doesn't send evil into our lives, trying to tempt us into evil, but he's a God who sends good things into the lives of his children most especially he says he, he's given us this gift of salvation when he says he chose to give us birth through the, through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created in other words you didn't work for this salvation you didn't earn this salvation and yes well you you know, when you put your faith in Jesus, then you're going to live it out. But listen, you didn't earn this thing. God chose you, and he's, he's given to you as a good gift, this gift of, of salvation with the hope of eternal life. James might say to us, listen, God is good all the time. Listen, and all the time, God is good. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's good and he's always good. And so we don't lay claim to anything in our lives. We don't lay claim to any of our successes, achievements, degrees, or money and income and education. Listen, it all comes from the hand of a heavenly Father who loves you, who loves you. When we live our lives with a spiritual perspective, we begin to recognize that everything good in life is a gift from the hand of God. And so we simply receive into our hands that which God blesses us with. I ask you this morning, I ask you this morning, what kind of eyes do you have? Are they eyes of faith? Are they eyes that can see life in a spiritual way? Oh, again, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, a, in, in, in our limited human perspective. Seeing the good of our lives, the bad of our lives, seeing it all from, from just a, a human way of, of thinking and of looking at things. But when we have a true and living faith, a faith that works, it affects the way we see life. It affects the way we see our world. It affects the way we see ourselves, the way we see eternity, the way we see God. With eyes of faith, we begin to rise above the stuff of this life as as if we're climbing to the peak of the mountain or we're at the top of that skyscraper, and we begin to see it all from a God's eye view. Listen, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, right, listen, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. How sad it would be for any of us to call ourselves followers of Jesus and still have unhealthy eyes. Where we're looking at the stuff of this world and just saying, I want more. I'm living for more. As you look at the trials of life and what we're going through, and we fail to understand that the end of the run there's a wonderful prize in store for those who will push through, who will continue on the journey rather than throw in the towel. That when we face temptation, when we face temptation, we would, we would realize that we need God's help in our spirits, in our minds, in our hearts that we would not give in to the desires that would lead us away from God, but instead we would pursue him with our hearts. And that, that we would understand that everything good we have in life, it all comes from his hands. Oh God, will you touch my eyes today, my spiritual eyes. Oh God, I want to be able to see life, my life, my world, the situations I find myself in from a truly spiritual perspective. I want to be able to see things, God, that are happening in my life, in my world, in my family, in my body, in my home, and wherever it is. The good of life and the difficult things in life, I want to see it all from your perspective, God. Will you give me your perspective? Give me your eyes, oh God. I put my faith in you too live for you, as I put my faith in what Jesus has done for me. God, I don't want to live my life seeing things the way those who don't know you see things. Lord, I ask you to make my eyes healthy. I just know that sometimes my eyes, they become unhealthy. But I pray that you would heal my spiritual eyes, God, each one of us, God our spiritual eyes, that we would have healthy eyes, that our whole body would be full of light, light and life, the power of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus, the work of the Holy Spirit, full of light and life. I'll just begin to pray right now. Church, I'll ask the worship team to come. But just, just pray right now. Say, God, will you give me eyes that would see the way you would have me to see? Would you help me to understand the way you would have me understand? Maybe you're going through some difficulties right now. and You need a godly perspective on it all. Maybe you're, you've faced some loss this past year. And you need a godly perspective right now. Maybe you're just enjoying life. Good things that life can bring our way. But you know, you know you're not seeing it the way God would have you see it. In fact, you've taken too much credit. And most of all, you failed to give thanks. And as we pray this morning, maybe there's someone here in this place, someone online with us. You've not yet taken a step of faith to give yourself to God through faith in his son, Jesus, and recognizing all that Jesus has done for you. I, I just read that last verse there, that he gives us birth. New birth, being born again. That's what Jesus does for us as we put our faith in him. Old things pass away. All things become new. So even your mind is renewed. Your eyes are made new. You see life. You understand things in a whole new way. Right now, you can reach out to God through faith in his son, Jesus. and Receive his work into your life. If that's you, just begin to pray with me right now. Maybe put a hand over your heart, whatever it is, but just begin to pray right now. Say, God, today I take a step of faith to give my life to you through faith in your son, Jesus. I pray that you would touch my heart, my mind, my spirit, that everything would become new, that you would put new hope in me, that I would be able to see ahead even to eternity, to the crown of life that you have for me. And that you would help me to live the way you would have me to live, a way that would bring blessing, that would bring your presence into my life. God, so today I give my life to you through faith in your son, Jesus. God, for each one of us, I pray that you would stir our hearts towards you this morning. Give us eyes to see you and all that you have for us and all that you're doing and the way that you would have us to see it. Give us healthy, spiritual eyes as we live our lives filled with faith. And It's in Jesus' name.